You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and a people belonging to God. That's what we finished with last week. And uh, so that kind of sets the scene for, for what we've got this week. This change that's happened in us, which Peter has been very keen to, to emphasise and, and say over and again, that we are not the same as we used to be. You know, I, I don't really want to embarrass uh, all the Crows supporters here, I sort of, of whom I think is one, maybe. But cast your, cast your mind back 20 years to the 1998 grand final uh, where the Crows played um, North Melbourne. Is that right? And, uh, and the champion of North Melbourne was a guy called Wayne Carey. Do you remember him? I mean, he was a really good player, but every time he came to Adelaide to play... Uh, at, at Footy Park, he was roundly booed and, and jeered, and but I think because he was such a good player, by Crows supporters, of course. Um, but but what happened? You know, a year or two later, he changed sides. Suddenly, he became he joined the Adelaide Crows, and, and he was the best thing since sliced bread. You know, I mean, you know, I could point out the sort of strangeness and uh, even hypocrisy of that, but I'm not going to. Um, but it's that sort of it's that sort of change that's happened in us. You know, we have, we have left the enemy and we have joined the other side. It's not just, a, it's not just like a, a slight adjustment. And, uh, and we didn't... We didn't the, the amazing thing is that we are a chosen people. We didn't decide to do it. It's not like, you know, like deciding I might go and join the bowls club or something like that. It's not that sort of decision. God has done it for us. Um, Although at times we might be tempted to think that it was our own cleverness or, or goodness that's, that's brought it on. But if you think back, if, if I think back to when I first believed, we had a lovely uh, lunch last Sunday where uh, a few of us were sitting around and, and talking about um, testimonies. We were talking about when we first believed. And, uh, and I hadn't sort of thought about it with me for, a, for quite some time. Um, but but if you but it seems that like there's a, everyone's testimonies have got things in common. I mean, basically they they've all got in common where they end up. But but we, if you're anything like me, and I'm sure you there would be something like it. You you go through a, a time of your life, and it may involve some sort of crisis, where you start to notice. Well, I started to notice that I thought more and more about God and took more and more notice of the things of God until eventually it reached a point and for me it was a, a point of crisis where, where I had to cry out to God and, and at that point God did something in me um, I don't know exactly what hi Charlie and where he, he changed something in me and, and did something opened my eyes and I could see that I'd be stupid mad even to not go with God's way. Uh, but then, you know, how did that happen? I remember when I first heard the, the doctrines of, of God's um, sovereign grace in, in election, in, in choosing us, when I first heard that preached about, and then I started to read the Bible, and I thought my, it was like my, the scales fell from my eyes and I could see, yes, yes, this is true. I can see this. I did nothing at all to deserve this. I did nothing to, to contribute towards it. It was entirely God's work in my life that, 
that brought me to this point. And left to my own devices, I would have just gone to hell. I would have perished. I would no way would I have ever believed. But God, with his irresistible grace, he called me out of the, the grave, just like Lazarus, who was completely dead. Lazarus did nothing at all to contribute to his coming back to life. It was entirely the words of Jesus that changed him. And so it is with us. It, 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 it is God's word that was preached to us, has brought us back to life and, and changed us. Uh, and we shouldn't think there's anything strange that, that, that it's God who, who, who did this, you know, like... Because I, I, I know some people get, get quite shocked at this idea that, that we did nothing towards it, that it's entirely God who decides that this person's going to be saved. But it's, a, it's nothing strange about it. Look, look what he did with Abraham, with Israel. Now, they were his chosen people. They did nothing to deserve that. He just simply chose them to be his people and that has continued over in, into the church. That is us. We're a royal priesthood. As Matt was saying last week, the Levitical priesthood was, um, was they were the only people of Israel who were entitled to draw near to God. Uh, and so it is with us. We are the church and we are the only people who are entitled to draw near to God. We don't need a, a, a priest to do it anymore. We, we are the priesthood of believers and we can draw near to God through the blood of Jesus. We're a holy nation. Once again, holy and set apart for God's service. We're a nation not of this world but of heaven. A people who belong to God and our purpose is to reflect his glory and to declare to the world by, by our words and by the way we live that the Lord, he is God and there is no other and he has called us out of darkness and into his glorious light. Once we were nobody. We were nobody who were destined to die and face the, the wrath and anger of a, of a righteous and a righteous judge, our creator. And we would have had no one or no thing to protect us. We would have been standing naked before him. You know, I, I see uh, guys like Richard Dawkins and the New Atheists and occasionally they get asked, what, you know, what will you do when you die if, if you find out that you were wrong? And there, and there you are before God. And, and their answers typically are, uh, involve um, arguing their way. You know, I'll, I'll reason with God. I'll, I'll, I'll use my intellect to, because... And, you know, who do they think they're kidding? This is the creator of the universe. So that's how we would have been. But now, for no reason other than that, that God himself chose to be kind to us. Now we're his children. Before it looked like he'd completely forgotten us and that he'd said, you can all go to hell for all I care. But God could not resist his own nature. And his own nature is to love and pity those who have no help and no hope. So grace and mercy flowed incessant from above were the words of the, the old hymn. And heaven's peace and perfect justice kiss the guilty world in love. What a beautiful line. Oh, I love that. Aren't we allowed to sing that song here? But then we come to uh, verse 11. And there's, a, there's quite a change in the whole message of 1 Peter here. Because it, up to this point, Peter has been uh, establishing 
for his readers who God is, uh, what he has done for us, and most importantly, who we are. Because we need to understand who we who we are, who we are, who we were once and who we are now. But now, now there's this um, change where he, because you've changed sides, you know, we've all done a Wayne Carey and completely changed. We've been changed by the word that was preached to us. Um, we're no longer part of this world. We don't belong here. And, and so we're, we're uh, aliens and strangers. This, that's what uh, the NIV uses in the one that Jeff read was uh, sojourners, which is um, uh, this is a yeah, kind of exactly like like Abraham was. It's the same word that's used for Abraham when in Hebrews when he was a, a stranger in a foreign country, a sojourner in a, a foreign country. He lived in tents, but he was looking forward to a city that had foundations. So back then he was he was a nobody too. Abraham was was just living amongst strangers who didn't care at all for him. But he knew that he, that his citizenship wasn't there. He didn't belong there. He belonged in heaven. Um, and the word that's that's translated here, uh, strangers or sojourners, is uh, the Greek word paroichia. And, and it's actually this interesting little bit of history here. That's the word that our word parish comes from. And so the church was seen as sojourners, strangers in the world. And so the word parish, which was always associated with the region around the church in England, uh, that's where that word comes from. Uh, of course, it's, uh, its meaning has changed a lot since then, but that's, that, that was its origin. And so because we are strangers in this world, we have to realise that there is a, um, there's, a, there's a conflict going on. The world doesn't, surprisingly, doesn't want to lose us. Uh, Satan doesn't want to lose us. He knows he is losing people to God, his arch enemy. And, and he's not happy with that. And so uh, verse 11 says, uh, urges us to abstain from sinful desires which, which war against your soul. There's a, there is a war going on. Uh, Satan uses, makes good use of our natural tendency to sin because he knows there's a war going on. He, he, he's the one who's declared it. And so it's very important that we're aware and that we're awake and with our spiritual armour on and our weapons at the ready. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourself. Now, when John and uh, Matt preach, they always have lots of nice slides to go with their sermon, which are very helpful and instructive, but I'm taking it up a step this week, and we've got, I've got a graph. They've never had a graph, have they? We have a graph. <laughs> this is this is to show you how to, how to examine yourself, okay? No, actually, it's to show you how not to examine yourself. On the left, the green bit sins you struggle with, almost nothing. 
seems other people struggle with. This is not how it's done, okay? That, can, oh, you that's the can you read that? Sorry? That's the Bible instruction. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Okay, we can shut that up. Oh, look, the, 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 the serious side of this is that we need to examine ourselves to see whether, whether we are actually in the faith, not by that standard, but, but by realising that our own sin is abhorrent to God. I mean, what are the things that, that as part of examining ourselves, we need to think and look and, and honestly look at what are the things that make our love for the Lord Jesus grow cold? Or even worse, to grow lukewarm. And what things of this world cause us to neglect our duty to pray and our need to pray? Um, what distracts us from from reading and meditating on the Word? You know, the, the Word is, it's all very well to say I read it, but do you really dig into it and meditate on it and, and, and chew it over? And, say, what, and, and cry out to God and say, Lord, what are you saying here? What's this about? Speak to me. And what, what are the things that make us not want to meet with God's people? All these things is a part of the war that's going on, the war against our soul. You know, there's a, you might have heard of a bloke called Ahok. He was a... He was a the governor of Jakarta uh, until last year, I think, early last year. And he was a Christian, which in a, in a Muslim nation is, is, is quite amazing. But he was up for re-election and, uh, and he was talking to a group of fishermen and they said, well, the imam told us we're not allowed to vote for you because you're a Christian. And uh, he, he replied, well, you can, according to the law of Indonesia, you can vote for whoever you like. Well, he was promptly charged with blasphemy and he spent uh, over, over a year in jail. Uh, eventually, the prosecutors dropped the charges because they said it was just silly. But you know, he'd spent a year and a half in jail and, of course, he missed out on being re-elected as Jakarta's governor and he had a good chance of being re-elected. <coughs> but I, I sort of had kind of forgotten about him. I remember reading about him and, and praying for him and, uh, and saying, Lord, why are you letting this happen? This is bad. You know, why didn't why did you let that happen? Why didn't you let him be re-elected? Surely a Christian governor would be a good thing there. And it probably would have been. But in the last uh, Barnabas prayer letter, uh, he gets a mention because he he said he's glad he went to jail. Uh, he said, if I'd been re-elected, I would have become arrogant and uncaring of people, whereas I'd used the time for Bible reading and reflection. And he said it has made me a better Christian. So, you know, this is the kind of, I suppose because he was involved in a high-powered thing, he was the governor of Jakarta, the world's, one of the world's largest cities, he wouldn't have had time. He, wouldn't, he, probably, he probably went to his head, I guess. But being put in jail, he could set aside the time to reflect and to think and to read the word. <coughs> 
Live such good lives among the pagans that although they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. <coughs> Unbelievers are converted by hearing the gospel. And although our lives are never going to convert anyone, really, none of us is going to live such a perfect life that people are going to be converted just by looking at us. Um, However, we do need to live in a way that does not turn people away from the gospel, that makes the gospel attractive to people. You know, all the controversy that's happened, particularly in the Catholic Church, it's just put put an awful, awful stain on the church, hasn't it? And made us unattractive. We've become a bad smell. Well, we probably were anyway. The world is always going to try and find fault with those who publicly declare that that they are a Christian. But people will will recognise that God is working in us, even if they won't say so. And especially on the day that that God visits us. Now, what that actually means, um, I discussed this with John the other day, and a couple of... uh, Possibilities. So the obvious one, I suppose, is the day that Jesus returns, when people will, will see that the gospel was true, and and this whole and lots of other bits in in uh, this whole letter is about the way we live and the way we speak, changing other people, and so that so hopefully on the last day when Jesus returns, there will be people who who because of the way we lived and the way we spoke have also come to believe and they will glorify God because of that. I think that that's, that's one of the things this is talking about. But the other one that occurred to me was before we were, Shelley and I uh, were converted, we had a, a, a couple who used to invite us for a meal occasionally who were, who were Christians and I think they were trying to convert us. And, and I hated going there, hated it. It was awful. They were dorks, total dorks. Um, Shelley, 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 no, not like us. But then, then we got converted. We we got converted, and and suddenly God changed them, so they weren't dorks anymore. <laughs> and they were lovely people, and I and I, you know, and so in a way, I was fulfilling this verse because I glorified God for them, because. Because we had been, yeah, we obviously we we were the ones who had been changed. I think I think it, when God visits us, when He changes us, then we glorify Him, and we glorify and we love His people. Now the tough bit: submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, whether to the king, as the supreme or, or emperor as. Uh, as other translations have it, as the supreme authority or governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. The fact that Paul was a, a Roman citizen uh, did give him some protection. Do you remember when Paul was arrested in, in Jerusalem? Um, he, they, the soldiers were going to beat him up. But then they found out he was a Roman citizen and, and so... He had to go to a proper trial. Uh, however, that the, the rule of law in Rome uh, had its limitations because Felix, who was the, the governor, um, 
he hoped that it says that he, like he strung the trial out for as long as he could because he hoped that Paul was going to bribe him. So the, the, there was obviously some elements of corruption there, and and we have to remember that that Peter was writing this letter in sometime in the sixties AD, and it was just before Nero became governor. Nero was the one who who found Christians in Rome, covered them in in tar, and then set fire to them to use them as as lights at his garden parties. So he, he wasn't a nice man. And, and that persecution had been building up to that anyway. And so at the time Peter was writing this, he, he was saying that, that the Christians should submit to the authorities and those authorities were, were fairly corrupt. So why would Peter tell us to submit to, to a godless government? And and, and Romans 13, Paul tells us virtually exactly the same words, to submit to the authorities. Well, for a start, I think even the worst earthly government is not actually godless. Uh, In fact, God put them there. This this tells us that. To punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right, verse 14. When I was at school, we read a novel called Lord of the Flies. Has anyone else read that? Um, William Golding, I think, wrote it about a group of schoolboys who get marooned on an island somewhere with no adults, and it quickly de- degenerates into a into tribalism where where some of them gang up on others and, and attempt to kill them. Um, and even though it was fiction, we kind of know that it's true. That that is what would happen without the rule of law. And we only got we only look, if we look at Iraq, what happened when the you know, Saddam Hussein was, he wasn't a nice man. You know, you wouldn't invite him around for dinner. But the rule of law existed in Iraq. In Iraq. I remember the, the, the South Australian Department of Ag used to have a research station in Iraq. It worked really well. went on for a long, long time. But the, the rule of law happened there. There were a lot of Christians in Iraq. There was something like a million Christians in Iraq before the war. As soon as they deposed Saddam, the place fell apart. The place became a, ruled by local little tin pot tyrants who would murder anyone for 10 cents. So as bad as Saddam was, he was better than having no government. So another obvious question is, what do we as Christians do about laws that make us break God's law? You know, if our government brings in a law that could cause us to... Uh, to break one of God's laws. Well, we don't have to go very far in the Bible to find examples of this. Uh, if we go back to, to the book of Daniel, um, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, they, they lived law-abiding lives until they came to the point where they had to break a, a law that caused them to not worship their God, to, to, to worship a false God when they rebelled against that law. And, and in in more modern times, we we think of um, of Tyndale, who John spoke about a few weeks ago, the, the the guy who translated the Bible into English, and died as a result. He he was breaking the law by doing that. And Cranmer and Ridley and Latimer, the three Anglican bishops who were burnt alive under the uh, Catholic Queen Mary, did they do wrong when they disobeyed the legal legally legal authorities that God had put there. 
Well, yes and no. Yes, they did disobey the authority, and it was it was an authority that God Himself had put there, and so they were punished by their authority. But no, they didn't do wrong in God's eyes, even though the king had uh, had been put there by God. That doesn't mean that the king's laws are godly laws. Of course, they're not. Not all of them. Obviously. It's just obvious that Daniel, could he was a good Jew. There's no way he was ever going to worship King Darius. And Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, they could not possibly worship this huge statue that, that Nebuchadnezzar set up. And Cranmer, Ridley and Latimer, they, they just could not say that, that the Roman Catholic Mass was not idolatry. It was. And, and so they, they had to stick by their conscience. Actually, Archbishop Cranmer, who was Archbishop during uh, Henry's reign, Henry VIII's reign, he didn't. He denied it. He he feared for his own life, so he changed his mind and said that said no, the, the mass actually was all right. And uh, as part of that, he had to he had to preach a sermon in a in the cathedral on a particular day where to to explain his own faults and tell them why he was wrong. And on that day, he was so stricken with conscience, he got up and complete and said exactly the opposite and told them that the Mass was idolatry. He was dragged down out of the pulpit by the soldiers and taken out to a, outside of the city of Oxford and burned alive. The punishment for a clear conscience, that was the reward. To stand before the real king with a clear conscience. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who defied the Nazis, he paid with his life. Well, why does God allow bad, even evil governments? It's, it's hard to give a, a really comprehensive answer that will keep everyone happy. But there's a few things we can glean from, from Scripture. Like in Romans 9, it says... For the scripture says to Pharaoh, I raised you up for this very purpose, that I'm, my works may be glorified in you. So Pharaoh was not a good, not a, not a, that, that particular Pharaoh was not a good ruler. He was, he was opposed to God's law. He was opposed to the Hebrews. But God had put him there to show his great power and his great mercy to the people of Israel. And the other thing is that bad and evil governments, they don't last forever. You know, Queen Mary, who the one who sent Ridley and Latimer and Cranmer to a state and hundreds of others, she only lasted five years. She she was not an old lady, she was relatively young. She desperately wanted a, an heir so that uh, England could remain Catholic after she died, but she died childless and... Uh, and Elizabeth I was put on the throne and, and the true gospel became established in England. And the Reich that was going to last for a thousand years lasted ten. Um, Soviet communism, you know, when uh, Richard uh, Wormbrand escaped to the West in the 1960s and began to wake up, awaken the Western church to, the, to what was happening in the communist countries, to, the, to Christian people under Stalin and others. 
Now, there, there was so much prayer started to happen. Lord, have mercy on this plan, your church. Have mercy on these people. And within a, a relatively short time, Soviet communism collapsed. And no one saw it coming. No one predicted it. Just almost overnight, it changed. The time may come when we will have to disobey a law, a bad law that our government brings in. You know, if at the last election, if, if Labor had won, they had, one of their policies was that they would uh, make abortion freely available in, in all large public hospitals. And so a lot of nurses and doctors would have been required to, to do things that would have been totally against their conscience. They probably would have lost their job. Romans 8 tells us that this life is frustrating and that we're groaning because it's, there are so many things wrong with it. But there's a good reason for that. And the reason is that it causes us to look forward to something better. So bad governments in that way are, are, are good for us. If we get, if we, I mean, we've, we've had a government that we've elected now who we think is probably going to be good for the church. Maybe so, maybe not. Maybe it would have been better if we, if we suffered and we cried out to God and, and it caused us to look forward to the real city, the city with foundations. But please note though that if we decide that a, a law is unjust and ungodly, that this is a very serious step to take. It's not something we should do lightly. I mean, we're not talking about I remember hearing a preacher once in the other place railing against the government because he'd been booked for speeding. Um, you know, he'd been caught 150, doing 115 k's on the Brentwood Road and he said it wasn't fair, he was perfectly safe doing it and, uh, and the government had just, just tried to raise revenue anyway. Too bad. Pay the fine. Don't grumble. It's a good and just law. That's not the sort of thing we're talking about when we talk about disobeying godless laws. You broke the law and God is not on your side in that case. Live as free men, but don't use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. That's, that's what Peter tells us. The freedom we have in Christ is not an excuse for us to break the law, which then brings the gospel into disrepute until that law becomes one where with, the, with our, our conscience that is cleansed and inspired by God, we can see that, that this law is ungodly. So that should always be in our mind as, as we interact with others, that we are ambassadors for Christ and we should live not only God-fearing lives but, but law-abiding lives. So verse 17 tells us to show proper respecters uh, proper respect to everyone. Ours is not to be the, the sort of snide comments and, and put-downs and abuse that so many fall into on Facebook and Twitter. Remember that everyone, even the, even your, even the nastiest person you come across, is made in God's image. And he longs for them to turn to him. And so all of our actions and the way we live and speak should should be to, always in the back of our mind should be to think, 
can I bring can I influence this person to bring him to Christ? Love the brotherhood of believers. Love the church. Yes, love the church. Fear God and honour the king in that order. You won't go wrong if you keep it in that order. How do we fear God? Well, uh, Luke tells us who we should fear. He says, don't fear those who can kill your body but then can't do anything else. Fear him who has the power to not only kill the body but to cast you into hell. So, to sum up, how can we how can we honour how can we fear God and also honour the King? I reckon Daniel is a is a great example for us. He did absolutely everything in his power for the good of King Darius to prosper his kingdom, to administer it well, to make Darius um, a great king. Anything that Daniel could do to help him, he did it. Until it came to the point where Darius asked him to, to pray to, 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 him, to himself, to Darius, as if he were God. That's where, it, where Daniel drew the line. So, so that was a great example for us. And the Lord Jesus, did he ever do anything to dishonour the Roman government? Sure, he called out hypocrisy and, um, and God dishonouring laws that, that men had introduced. But he honoured um, Caesar when, when the denarius was brought to him. Said, and he said, whose image is this? Caesar's. Well, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. He was kind of then saying, pay your taxes, obey the law. So Jesus submitted completely to the ruling government, even to the point of his death for us. He died. That was one of the great things that opened my, when God called me out of the grave and opened my eyes. That I realised that God didn't, that Jesus didn't just die for people's sins. He died for my sins. He died for me. You know, there's, a, there's such a subtle difference and yet such an amazing difference and to come to realise that is a life-changing experience.